So we've got to be competitive in this industry. And it's either an industry or it's a Cinderella game. And they either see it as an industry and back it. Because from Malinhead to Mizzenhead to Cairnsore Point and all the way back to Belfast Lock, every parish is involved in tourism and hospitality of some nature. And there's a lot of people employed in it. The Architects of Business with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Architects of Business, made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, where you will hear the inspirational stories of some of Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Sonia Lennon, broadcasting remotely from my home at this time. And on this week's show, I'm joined by hotelier Liam Griffin. He owns and runs the five-star Monarch Spa, along with Hotel Kilkenny and the Ferry Carrick Hotel. He talks to me about what it's like to be an, in an industry that is just opening up for business and why Ireland needs a dedicated Minister for Tourism. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe to get a brand new episode into your feed. Liam Griffin, thank you so much for joining me on Architects of Business today. I have to start by holding my hands up and saying I'm a big fan of your work. My favorite sound in the universe, I think, is the silence of a toweling slipper padding down a plushly carpeted hallway. Um, And Monarch Spa certainly evokes that to me. Um, It is, I suppose, one of the ultimate destinations in Ireland um, as a spa resort and retreat. Um, that's that's not all. There is so much more to you than that. Um, you are a hotelier deep into your core. It's in your DNA. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I suppose your GAA background is well documented um, and certainly no stranger to excellence there. But I'd like to go back a little bit just before we dive into all of that to your background and I suppose your early inculcation into uh, hospitality and what that looked like. Yeah, well, I suppose it goes back to my mother. I, I, like we're actually, my kids are like four, fourth generation because <clears throat> during the economic war, uh, which was way back, my mother's family were farmers. And uh, by way of trying to make a living, um, since we were making a great decision that we wouldn't sell anything to Britain, which seems a little bit ridiculous now when you look back. But anyway, so that meant that they had a fine farm guest house and started a guest house there. And I suppose that led me to the hotel industry, inevitably. And so, uh, you know, where your absolute um, mentors were coming through thick and fast um, through the GAA, there were other external um, mentors from the, from the hospitality in- industry as well. Yeah, when we got when we got to Shannon, like I'll be honest with you, Shannon for my family would have been like it was expensive to go to Shannon at that stage, even by that standards. So, like we uh, there was a lot of hoteliers' children there. Now we had we had a small little hotel. It was very modest at that stage, and some of these people are coming from very big hotels and from chains hotels. Some of them came in from England. We had foreign students as well, but we only had a small amount of people. But the man in charge was a fellow called Jorgen Bloom. And uh, he was he was the, the director of the college. This was set up by the vision, by the way, of uh, Brendan O'Regan, who set up the Shannon Free Airport. And he brought this hotel school into there. And to, to a lot of hoteliers in, the, in this country, owe a great deal of gratitude to, to Brendan O'Regan. He was a, a very, very fine man and a great, a great visionary, a great entrepreneur as well. So, but Jorgen Bloom was a Swiss man. He had been in the Swiss army. And... Um, like he was a great example, and I remember at one stage 
we went on a wine tour of uh, of France, which for a young lad from Ross Lair, playing hurling for Wexford and playing hurling for East Club, it wasn't actually the done thing for fellas like me that time to be doing this, but I enjoyed it, I can tell you that, and the wine tour was really, really good. But we he brought us to um, to Verdun and to all the places around the First World War, and he was good fun, but he was he was a good man in control, and the reason why he was because he led by example as well. But he made a speech outside of one of the one of the famous war sites, and he talked to us about life uh, and about war and all of those things. And you know, to this day, I'm emotional about it because the tears were were coming down his face as he spoke about this. But you know what? It just was absolutely a life changing experience for me. It taught me another side of life: the war and the death and the futility of it all. And man's inhumanity to man, the unfairness of life, and how people were treated, and uh, like it never left me. And I brought my kids back there to do something similar, but not as good. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I, well, not really. Couldn't do it as good as he did that time because it was a once in a lifetime moment. And uh, to my, my my one of my sons was in the business, the uh, Anthony. He brought his kids and. Through uh, the family, they discovered, they discovered on my my wife's side that she had a grand uncle who was uh, who was killed in the First World War. Wow! And they got to his grave. So, Liam, you've amassed this um, sort of extraordinary body of knowledge from a very young age in terms of hospitality. You've gone to the place to learn about the hotel industry in Shannon, driven by a visionary and a man who inspired you. Um, and future generations for the rest of your life. So you have one hell of a lot of resources at play. Um, but but you weren't content. At that point, you left Ireland. Yes, well, I went to, as part of the Shannon, they had a system uh, uh, where they placed people with Movenpick. And Movenpick was, was again developed by a great entrepreneur, a man called Yuli Prager. And... Um, Yuli Prager's office was like stored to, to to the restaurant where I was working in, right? So you work through each individual department in the in in the restaurant, right? Restaurant, kitchen, bar, every part of it, and that again was great training. And the Swiss uh, passed masters at the art, and these people were absolutely a brilliant company in that they were way before their time. I could spend all day telling you about that, but they were way before their time. And he built a big a good business. Uh, but it was a great place for me to work. So I worked there for a little bit over a year, a year, just about a year. And uh, left there with, with, with a lot of good, uh, good learnings from there. And then w- I joined Trust House Forte. And Trust House Forte were the biggest hotel group in the world at that particular time. And uh, I spent another year with Trust House Forte. So I'd been to Movenpick, the best of the best as I was, as far as I was concerned, not about sy- systems or structures, but about the product and how they served and what they did with it. I was in Trust House Forte, the biggest uh, hotel group in the world. They had their own systems. They were around the world. They were, were well-known. They were sold off since and broken up. So they were very British in their, in their whole back-of-house stuff. And now I had a chance to work for an American company. So I applied for a job. Uh, with uh, I, I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. And I applied for a job in Intercontinental in Dublin. And uh, I got the job. And I was there for a few years. and. I learned American systems because I wanted to do that now because I knew I was going to go home eventually and I wanted to give myself that rounding that I could get. So that's where I went and learned a lot, a lot in intercontinental hotels. And then 
Intracon sold out because there was bombs going off all over the place and the um, you know the IRA were in full swing they were bombing in Britain and like the Intracons got out of Ireland as quick as they could in the end and I joined Board Fauci in the meantime because they now wanted to see the overall structure of tourism in the country and how how it was managed and what the vision for tourism was in the country. So I joined those as a standards advisor, having been promoted in Intercon a couple of times. So, so you were poacher turned gamekeeper at this stage. You'd, you'd crossed the divide and you were on the other side. Yeah. Um, did that suit you? And I suppose what did you what did you bring away from that? I bring but I, what I wanted to see was what's the vision like of the top people. Where are we going with this industry? Uh, you know, <clears throat> we're not going very far, by the way, because we haven't even got a minister for tourism yet. The minister for tourism at the moment, under a new regime, has got about four, forty-seven other portfolios, and I don't know what the hell they're doing that they don't put a minister for tourism in there. And I could see that in my own time in Portfolio, and we need it if it's an industry we need it, and that's it to go do the job. But anyway, that's not where we are. In terms of my time there, I saw a very good structure of the old board Fauci, which the Fianna Fáil government took asunder with Charlie McCreevy and changed it because they wanted more control themselves rather than give it to board Fauci. And board Fauci were doing a great job in my time. I have to say that. They were doing a great job. And I saw all sides of it. I was, on the, I was seconded to the marketing side from, to go to London to, to try and get the Irish to go back to, to Ireland because... Not because I was brilliant, but because I was a rural Irish and I had played hurling a football and I might have some synergy with him. You wouldn't be doing very well coming out from D4, maybe, and uh, looking you for... You spoke the language. Yeah, from back, spoke the language. So that was great for me as well that I got that exposure to the London scene at the time. So, like, I learned from Board Fauci as well that I wasn't suitable for Board Fauci long term. I was doing nine to five, Monday to Friday. I wasn't, I was doing a bit extra, but that's not the point. Nine to five, Monday to Friday. I was so used to the hotel business. Uh, before a nine-to-five job, and I was hurting, would have suited me. But now I, I, I was in love with the business as well. And I just, it wasn't social, and it wasn't, there wasn't stuff going on all the time like there is in the business. And I missed that going on. So I left Portfolio and came back, and I bought the hotel from my own, from my mother. My poor dad was at that stage. So, so that's what I did, and that's how I got going myself. And so it's funny because, you know, you spoke about wartime analogies and, and obviously, to a certain extent, the trenches is where you belong. You don't want to talk about it. You want to do it. Um, yeah. And so that in itself, that transition to own um, the hotel that your parents had built up, that was not an easy task. I can tell you one thing. It was one hell of a task because no bank would give me any money. Uh, I couldn't get the money to buy the place. And I was getting it for half its value. I had two brothers and my mother and my mother being as fair as anybody could possibly be, I was going to buy the hotel. That's it. And i get it for half its value. Now, I tried to get it for half its value, but the banks wouldn't give it to me. But eventually, I got it from Lumber and Ulster Finance, strangely enough, through hurling. The, 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 I, I, was playing, I was involved with a soccer team in, in uh, Port Falcha, and we played a banking team, <laughs> which I was going to kick every one of them around the place if I got half a chance, but whatever, it wasn't like that. And this guy, I had, I had played on him uh, in hurling. <laughs> I was playing, I went to Clare. When I went to Shannon, I got on the Clare team and I had played against this guy and he got me the money at enormous expense anyway. But uh, to you, me, <laughs> to, me, to me, but at the same time, like the interest rates were so high, but the banks wouldn't give me any money because I had no money. And I used to keep saying, how could I get money? I worked for Movenpick. I worked for Trust House Forte. I've got this and I got this. I know my business. And that's basically it. I'm quite happy I can make it work. 
So, but no, 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 I had no money. I didn't have any cash. That's it. But he gave me the money at an expensive rate. I, I, and he gave me the way out of it. He said, this is how you can do it. And this is how you get out of it. So he said, you trade for a year, go back to those banks. You perform in those years. And uh, I'm sure you're going to. And they'll take you on then because you've established it. They're not taking the first risk. So that's what happened. And I got the, I went back and got the money off the bank. But I'm eternally grateful to a guy called Pat Murphy who arranged that for me at that stage. Only for him, I was, a, I, was a, I, I was, you know, about to give up to try to get money because I thought, well, I'm a pauper. So you don't get money when you're a pauper. And I suppose that's the true nature of um, entrepreneurialism. And, you know, you, you, you proved yourself, you believed in yourself and you had the vision for it. Um, yeah. And, and, and the I vision... Also, I also had a place that had, that, that, I, that had seen one hell of a lot of hard work and I wasn't going to be able to get it and I wasn't going to be able to bring it further or whatever. That, that was on my mind too. And what, what was the vision for the, the, your parents' hotel then? Yeah, well, I wanted to build it up. It, was, it, it wasn't in great shape all around. We, parts of it were wooden structures. It needed to be redone, needed to be rebuilt. But that was my parents' effort. And I, was, I, I felt I didn't want to let it go either. I wanted to make something. And though I let it go in the end, but after we had done a lot of work with it, I sold it in the, we sold it in the end. So there were the tying factors that keep you motivated as well. That's in a family-type business. And maybe that's not a great business idea, they would tell you, but that's the way it happened for me. And so that that moment when you, I suppose, sold, sold that hotel and moved into a reality that you created yourself, your yeah. own vision from scratch, was that a very different sort of chapter in your story? It was huge because I never got the chance. I never had the resources. And, uh, you know, you could argue you still don't have enough resources to that. We, we were never uh, a moneyed family type of thing. Uh, you know, that's a fact. And, and there's no shame in that, I can tell you. So actually, it's not bad for you, if you, if you really, when you think about it. But anyway, from my point of view, I was trapped in, in, in the site in Rosslare. It was very confined. And I'd done as much as I could there. And I built up a very good business together with my wife, Mary, who was fantastic, a rock at my side. And... Uh, she didn't know what she was letting herself in for when she married me. <laughs> I still don't know how I managed to get her, to be honest. But anyway, there we go. So after a long time there, my accountant was a great friend of mine and my solicitor was a great friend of mine. They knew me inside out. And they were great advisors to me. And you need a mentor. You need someone to say, hold on a minute, come up out of the trench for a minute and sit down here. We need to talk. Where are we going with this? So they were fantastic to me. Uh, John O'Connor from Shield Kinnear in Wexford and a man called Peter Redmond was they were great mentors for me and a great help to me because they could see a different side of the story. Right. So anyway, we, we decided that I needed to move on and to try and get get somewhere else. And we eventually bought Hotel Kilkenny and we identified that as a good place to go, which it proved to be. And then after, and that was in 1985. And then we bought we bought the Ferry Carrick Hotel in Wexford and that was in 1991. So I, we had now got the three places, Ross Lair, uh, I still had Ross Lair, and I had Kilkenny, and we had Ferry Carrick. So we decided to sell Ross Lair at the end of the 90s, 1999, I think it was when we sold it altogether. And uh, then the next thing is the, the, you could see the crash was coming because now the, the board fudge, the control of the, de- of the development of the product was gone. You had this tax break system coming in, which in fairness to it was a good idea at the time, but it was overused by the Fianna Fáil government to the point of ruination, to be honest. And uh, the whole business became oversupplied. And I had always had got up hotels and premises that I needed to do jobs on. I never got to a, a greenfield site. And I felt, we're going to go for a greenfield site. This thing is going to crash. Four-star hotels are going to be killed because 
what, whatever they're going to do. The, if, we, if we fill all these hotels we built, we'll have too many tourists. They'll, you know, they'll pollute the place. If we don't fill them, they're going to go broke a lot of these places. And that was my actual, I wasn't a genius because I could see it coming. I felt it was coming. And then we decided to draw, we called our own management team together and we came up with the idea of Manart and this was going to be a greenfield site. Everybody felt that we should have done it at Ferry Carry, but overlooking a beautiful river. And my point was, when is a spa not a spa? And my point was, when is an hotel? Because you meet a girl going there, a child or a boy making her first communion, you meet somebody, you meet a funeral, you meet weddings, you meet everybody, all of human nature is there. But we want to do a specific product. Now, if there was, we wanted to do it, we wanted to get the timing right as well, because with the way the speculator would go, and if we'd have opened two years earlier, there'd be 40 in Ireland now. That's a fact. Because uh, they were copycatting everything. So they were going to copycat that. Uh, so we got a chance to build from the ground up something that we want to do. Nothing flashy, nothing over the top, nothing but whatever chandeliers hanging out of the ceiling. This was about the, the subliminal message to the client. This is about you and about what we can do for you within there. We're not here to be flash. We're here to be good and we're here to be nice. We'll give you the best of food. We'll give you the best of service. We'll give you all of those things. And, and then we hope you'll enjoy the experience and we give you good experiences ourselves. But it was a greenfield site. It was in a business I knew something about. I wasn't branching into something I knew nothing about. I had two sons coming up behind me. We sat down and discussed, where are we going, guys, with all this? Uh, do we flog all this and see if we can get a few bob for ourselves and bail out before the whole place bails out? So, Or what do we do? And one of my sons, Michael, I think it was, and Liam Anthony both agreed, Dad, you, you, your, your mother, all before you, you've done this. We, you know, because I said, we're entering tough times. And, and, and it said, wouldn't we be poor guys if we couldn't take on a challenge? So I said, that's it then, boys. We're still, we keep the, the race is still on. So let's keep going. So that's what we did at the kitchen table. And I suppose Monarch. Um, and I'm proud of those two guys, to be fair. I'm really proud of, yeah, proud of all my sons. Uh, and and I want to talk to you about that because um, I suppose you you were a, a very early adapter of the notion of experiential consumerism, this idea that Monarch would create something very new, a new way of doing things. Um, we're in extraordinary times um, and hospitality has been through such a serious cataclysmic shift. Um, I know your sons are working very hard on on um, strategizing and and unpicking the future of hospitality. Where, where do you think the learnings are, and where do you think the wins are to be made in the future? Um, hard to say, but just one thing before that: they all worked in the hotels when they were young and when they were in secondary school. They said I put them in there with their in bare feet and things like that into bed. I wouldn't even give them shoes. That, you know, they just exaggerate like hell about how the hardship I gave them. I didn't actually, but they they worked through every department. Makes for well, a good I, story though, Liam. Yeah, yeah, those, those, they does, they does. tell everybody. But from my point of view, I had got something from it. Did I love washing up? Did I love those things? No, I didn't. But you know what? When I look back on it, I knew how to respect the guy who was washing up. Right? Uh, because I did it myself. I knew how to, uh, I knew how to uh, clear a sewer because somebody has to do it, right? So those learnings, we're a craft industry. We're not above anything. We need to be able to do anything we can. So that's just to finish that chapter. Now, what do I see in the, in the future of hospitality? Look, I see a government that's not with it in terms of tourism big time, honestly, uh, and it's coming out again now. They can prove themselves again. Like we were non-competitive for a long time there. And 
there was a there was a feeling abroad and a wonder about rural Ireland that you could keep you know going back into industries and uh, businesses like family businesses, shops, high streets, and asking for more money all the time. We, we charge more VAT, we charge more rates, we charge more this. Because the councils were left denuded of cash and they were told to go collect more rates. So the local the local councillor says, well, sure, why don't we hit the businesses? Where else can his vision be? It's just locally. So we've beaten people off the high street. We've beaten them off it right? by taking what profit they were. People were on minimum wage. They were running some of these businesses for a long time, but they were prepared to do it. And I felt that's my take on it. That's my take on it. Okay. So from that point of view, then, we made ourselves non-competitive. Listen. A man gets into an aeroplane in London. He can fly north, south, east, or west. He can do the same from Barcelona. He can do the same from Paris. So we've got to be competitive in this industry. And it's either an industry or it's a Cinderella game. And they either see it as an industry and back it. Because from Malinhead to Mizzenhead to Cairnsore Point and all the way back to Belfast Lock, every parish is involved in tourism and hospitality of some nature. And there's a lot of people employed in it. Wage costs, uh, well, low wages in some of the areas, but not in them all. There's some great wages as well. So it's a mix of everything in the local society, and that's good for society. That's my view. Why wouldn't I say it? I'm in the business. But, but the business is phenomenally important to the Irish economy. It is absolutely important. But yeah, but we just talk lip service to it, and that's the point. Because if we, if we think it's so important, how come we haven't had a minister for tourism? How come we have a minister for sport and tourism and all those issues at the same time? That's my take on it. Now, the government had got to set out the stall this time and they set out the ministers. I was absolutely, I had already made uh, overtures that we should be putting the minister. And I see they didn't do it again. And you're thinking, oh, here, come on. Look, this is going over. My, my, my boys won't get involved now. They just look that, forget about it. Just keep going. That's it. So anyway, talking, talking about forgetting about it and just keep going, what yeah. does that look like for you right now with your stable of hotels? What does just keep going look like in an industry that has literally just reopened its doors? Well, for now, at the moment, it's very difficult, obviously. But like we're doing a good job, I have to say. I'm very proud of the job we're doing in Kilkenny and Ferry Carrick at the moment because it's well organised. I was in the gym area this morning there. Very well done, really good, safe. All the, Every protocol being adhered to, everybody in masks, all our staff in masks. And they're doing a great job in what they're doing. And that's what they're supposed to do. Because And what's the, changed, Liam? What, what kind of, at this point in time, is, is fundamentally different to how things were working before? Well, it doesn't feel like the same as hospitality as before. Like when you go into receptions, there's there's there's, there's all plastic uh, visors like in front of you, and you're coming in one door. It's controlled, whereas before it was a free for all. It's different. But I was uh, in the in the place this morning. But the people are adapters as well. They're very good. I have to say, they're not whinging about the old times. They're actually complimenting us on how well we're running it now because the people we have coming in are are, are serious about health and everything else. And, and we have to be because our staff are our family as well, because we need to keep them safe and we need to keep our customers safe. So, but that doesn't feel like it, but that's me thinking all the time. But the people are adapting to it and they're accepting it. You know? And, and now, if, you think about, if you think about a simple act of, you know, the, the, the beloved function of the hotel breakfast, what, what yeah. does that look like now? Well, it looks like slower than before. That's the first thing, because I heard a customer say it yesterday. For example, we are operating protocols in our kitchens. We're not letting chefs pass from one station to another. So our kitchens are completely different than they were. The buffet, personally, I was never mad about buffets myself. Uh, not because I'm old school, but we do a very, we have a great buffet in Ferry Carry, to be fair, and Kilkenny and, and well, Ferry, we do it differently in Kilkenny. Manart is a buffet, and, but we do main courses from the kitchen. But we have a whole set of protocols. So we're slower, and the people are so used to grabbing a breakfast and moving. 
now they have to expect a leisurely breakfast because it's going to be slower. It's slowed down because of the system. And any hotel that's doing it, if they're you know they're going to be slower, but that's that's acceptable in this in this COVID period. And as you said, people are adaptable. So, you know, I think everything has slowed down to a certain extent. We, and, and we've actually quite enjoyed that prospect. When, yeah. when you look at, um, you know, the network that EY Entrepreneur of the Year has put around you now, and, and you see the value of that network, um, where are the wins for you in that, in that extraordinary group of people? Well, the wins for me with the extraordinary group of people, and I have to say they are extraordinary. I am humbled when I go in and see what some of these guys can do. It just blows your mind with what they've done. And they've shown all of the, the, the traits of humble guys who are doing a great job. And I don't see any guy with massive egos, maybe another one here and there. Maybe I'm the one with the ego. I don't know. But <laughs> the point is that, like, that, the, that the, they're a completely different group than somebody would think of on the outside when you present who they are. But they, they, again, to mix with that group and the learning opportunities I've had and the support I've got from EY during the crash as well was huge for me because I, I was in there. I was friendly with Frank, uh, who was in charge of it at that stage, and friendly with them all. But uh, he was the running, uh, running all of that system at the time. And we used them for our time when we were our business was sold by Ulster Bank into a into a vulture fund so uh we had no choice in saying no matter we were performing loan at the at the at the time when we were in sold over to the vulture fund and the only thing that i resent is we had to give the vulture fund 100 cent in the euro forever for, to buy back our business and they could flip the uh, flip uh, our business if we if we if, if they took it take it off us they got it for something like 40 cent in the euro and they went off to america and they could flip it in seven years and they could go away with pay no tax Here's my mother, my grandmother, my kids, the whole lot, all of us playing the game along here, generations of people working on the track, and this suddenly happens. Now, they say they had to do that. I don't know. I'm not an economist. I don't know if they had to do it. But certainly, you know what? It was a blunt instrument, and that's for sure. And we did pay, and we paid it, and we got going again, and that's it. And we bought it back from a bunch of them, paid them, paid them their money, and moved on. That's what we did. And I'm glad to say we're still standing. It's really interesting because um, it's something we don't often touch on is the support of the Entrepreneur of the Year network in, in bad times. It's almost a given that that network has huge value in good times. It's great to hear that that support is there. I have to ask you before we finish up, um, just just for your, your quick thoughts, uh, if there is such a thing on uh, return oh. to play within the GAA. Yeah, well, for return to play within the GAA, um, from my perspective, the big worry is are we going to get this pandemic to come back again? The most important thing is that the players stay safe and that they, everybody associated with the game stays safe. It'll be great if we can continue right till the rest of the year. And it's great to see fellas back in the field. Hopefully I'm going to get to a match this evening to see our own club play. So like that's really the belief we're alive again. You know, Particularly in rural Ireland, you're alive again when you can see teams taking the field to play. So hopefully it's going to all work out. Uh, I, I'd like to think that we need to make changes in the GEA arising from this because it shows up a few of the issues that we have and hopefully we can get the balance right between club players and inter-county players and I believe we can look at it's not that big a deal it can be done and it can be done quickly to be honest Liam ahead, Griffin yeah. thank you so much for your time today fascinating story um, and I wish you the very best to look into the future thank you Sonia thank you very much for listening and watching Architects of Business, made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Thanks to all the team here at Joe and of course to our entrepreneur today, Liam Griffin. 
If you haven't already done so, click subscribe to get brand new shows directly into your feed. The Architects of Business with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. 